I want to start this morning with a question, and the question is, what causes friction in your life? What causes tension? What causes concern? What causes you to be anxious? What causes you to freak out, to lose your sense of peace, any kind of peace that you might have? Years ago, uh, when I was in school, I remember that we used to have these things called chalkboards on the wall. Now, I, I know that those are very rare in school today. Uh, some of you are probably like, I've never, I don't even know what a chalkboard is. Now we use computer screens and TV screens and tablets and all of that. But there used to be these green chalkboards that were up on the front of the classroom and and you could write on them with chalk. And so you would write something down on the board and then you could take up an eraser and you would erase it, wipe it off, wash it off, and then you could write something else. I remember having a teacher, um, I, I was something in like sixth grade, he writes this word on the chalkboard and the word was test. He looks at the class and he says, oh, okay, some of you read this word test and you're thinking, okay, we're going to have a test. No big deal. Uh, you don't even notice it. It's no concern to you at all. Others of you uh, read this word and you're thinking, oh, great, there's a test. I mean, we, we, I got to go home and study. I, 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 I got to get ready for this. You're a little bit concerned about the test. You, you go home. You're going to study. But you're going to get some sleep as well. You're going to be okay for the test tomorrow. And then there is a third category of people. And they hear this word test and they absolutely go insane out of their minds. They are panicked. They are freaking out. They are hyperventilating. I mean, there is no way that they are ever going to be able to study because they are so worried about this idea of a test and they're not going to be able to do well. They, they, just hearing this word test has brought disaster into their lives. For you, what is it that causes worry? What causes you to be anxious? What causes you to lose any sense of peace or joy in your life? I came up with a list of some things that people typically worry about, and we're going to put them up on the screen here this morning. The first one is kids. Uh, we, we have these little children, and we think, well, how in the world am I ever going to be sure that I'm going to keep them safe? I don't want anything awful to happen to them. Your kids, they, they don't stay young forever. They start to grow up. And you think, well, how can I be sure that they are going to be responsible in life? I mean, uh, I have such a hard time getting them up. I have such a hard time getting them going and doing something around the house. They're always goofing off. They're always watching TV. Now... I know that, they're, that this child's only three years old right now, and I know that I'm the one who actually put them in front of the TV, but I'm really concerned about the fact that they're, they're maybe not going to be responsible, right? We worry about our kids. We worry as well about our status. Now, this is true for the 15-year-old, and this is true for the 55-year-old. <laughs> the 55-year-old just feels like they're in the slow lane. That all of their friends that are their age are in the fast lane. They're experiencing all of these amazingly great things. They're going on these uh, extravagant trips. They're eating out at these fine restaurants. They buy all of these fancy things. And you just don't get the opportunity to participate in these things. 15-year-old, on the other hand, they are just plagued with this fear. A fear of missing out. 
What is it that my friends are doing at this very moment that I didn't get invited to, that I'm not involved in? It is this fear of missing out. I just wonder, when you visit the house of worry, what is it that you tend to be anxious about? We can be anxious about our kids. We can be anxious about our status. We can be anxious about money. Now, this could be short-term and this could be long-term anxiety. You could be thinking, well, how in the world am I ever going to pay this bill that I have two weeks from now? But you also could be thinking, well, how am I ever going to retire? How, what, what if I live so long that I outlast the money that I've saved up? How do I know that I've actually saved enough money in order to support myself in retirement, in order to support my wife, my family? We worry about money. We worry about health. You might have a friend who just got absolutely wiped out financially because of a medical condition that they did not see coming. And not only that, but one medical diagnosis can, can totally change life. It, it can totally change life for you. It can totally change life for your family. We worry about health. We worry about our career. First, we worry about finding the right career. And, and then we worry about losing that career. We worry about getting stuck in a career. We live with this anxiety uh, of, uh, that, that um, maybe someday we're going to have like 10 years from now, we're still going to be in the same job, in the same career, and we're not going to really enjoy what we're doing. We worry about that. There's anxiety over career, and then there's just that word other. You name it. What is it that keeps you up at night? Well, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles with me this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now, before we look at our passage for today, I just want you to think about that question. What is it that causes you anxiety? On those days when your mind is racing, on those nights when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep because you are plagued with this restlessness about you. What is it that causes the restlessness? What is it that causes that worry? In our passage today, the Apostle Paul will give a, a couple of very strong guidelines for life. He's going to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And he's also going to say, do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice always, never worry. You think, well, it's clear that someone who would write that, I mean, things have to be going pretty well for them, right? But the reality is, is that the Apostle Paul is an inmate in prison when he writes those words. Philippi is located in, the northern, in northern Greece, around 50 AD. The Apostle Paul travels there to this, this uh, city of Philippi. He establishes a community of people there who are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, soon after that, he moves on from that city to another place, another location. And, and ten years have actually come and gone. Ten years, it's around 60 AD. Paul is incarcerated and he is writing from prison. He is in prison 800 miles away in this city of Rome. And he just says, hey, listen, rejoice in the Lord always. And don't be anxious about anything. 
We know from the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, that Paul had told the Philippians that he really wasn't sure about how this whole imprisonment thing was going to work out. He had said, really, it could go either way here. At the time, there was a guy by the name of Nero who was in charge in Rome. And really, Nero was very unpredictable. He was quite crazy. He didn't like Christians very much. And so Paul's case, when it would come up to trial... It's very easy that it could have been thrown out, that, that Paul could have been released, but it's also just as likely that he could be executed right on the spot. It, it really, it, it just came down to how Nero felt that day. This is something that, that Paul is very aware of. He, I'm sure that he thought, you know, there's going to come a day, and the guards are going to come to my cell, and they're going to say, it's time to get dressed, it's time to get up, and your case is going to be heard today. And it very well could go either way. That he could be released or he could be executed. But it was out of those circumstances that come these beautiful words that he writes to his friends. And he says, listen. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, look, I am ready to go whatever happens. If I, if I leave this world, I'm ready for that. But you know what? If I stay, that, that's okay with me too. God can use that. Paul's future was very uncertain. And the friends that he was writing to there in Philippi were some of, in some very difficult circumstances themselves. Financially, things were really tight. And in fact, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether things were really going to work out for them, how, how they were going to be able to make it. They were flirting with poverty. In addition to that, there was this very serious opposition that was going on towards Christianity in that place. They were facing it regularly. Friends had ostracized them. Family members were disowning them. People who used to shop at their stores weren't shopping. They were taking their business elsewhere. There was opposition. There was also friction going on within the church. I want you to see this for yourself here in our passage for today. If you look there in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes this. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord... Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, I don't think that Paul is writing here and somehow he's taking sides in this argument between these two ladies. He says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche. That they are both equally responsible in this argument that has taken place between them. That they both need to work together in working this out for the sake of the gospel. I also don't think that this is some kind of a theological or doctrinal issue that's going on here. Because in all of Paul's other letters where he writes to people, he is always very direct in dealing with issues like that. But here he says, these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And it seems as if he, 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 he says, these people, these ladies are still in love with the Lord. But it clear, it's clear that there is some friction between them. And Paul pleads with them to get along with each other in the Lord. 
And so we have this inmate, and he is awaiting trial. He's writing to a poverty-stricken congregation that has these relational issues. As he writes about this, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. Which gives us the opportunity this morning to talk about joy and anxiety, right? And what I'd like to suggest to you today, that it is, it's inevitable that one of them is going to get pushed out of the way. Because these are incompatible roommates. They don't work together. They always butt heads, right? And so the more joy dominates your life, the more that you're going to see anxiety fade into the background. But the opposite is true as well. Because the more that anxiety dominates your life, the more that you're going to see that joy gets trampled on and it just kind of evaporates. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is to see here how these forces are at work. And that as joy grows, anxiety gets pushed out the door. But also that as anxiety grows, that joy gets pushed out the door and anxiety begins to run rampant then in our lives. What I want to suggest today is that when we uh, receive potentially bad news, that there is a decision of the heart that gets made. And it could lead towards joy or it could lead towards anxiety. What I'm trying to suggest today is that anxiety and joy are, are not things that just happen to us, but they are actually things that we can choose, that, that, that we can have influence over them. That, that the people who are absolutely joyful people, even in seasons of disruption, trial, sadness, they're able to choose joy. And what I want to suggest is that there are certain decisions that we can make that can help us to find joy. But I would also say that anxiety, when it runs rampant, there are decisions, there are practices, there are habits of the heart that allow that anxiety to just run wild within us. The good news is, is that anxiety and joy are not just things that happen to us, but they are things that we can actually influence and choose. And I realized this morning that as we kind of maybe even look around the room, I mean, if we were to talk openly here this morning, that there are people on all sorts of the ends of the spectrum on this, that, that there are some here today who worry very little about life, and then there are others who are just strangled by worry and anxiety all of the time. But my prayer today is that we would look at these verses from the Apostle Paul, and that our gracious God would meet us where we are, where we could see and hear the testimony of this inmate. And it would give us hope. It would give us joy. God didn't create you to live in worry and anxiety. And I'm not trying to say that this is easy, but I do believe that uh, we, could, uh, we could find the opportunity this morning to be on a path so that we can practice and be disciplined and work towards this idea of joy and find this freedom that would push out that prison of anxiety and fear. And so we want to go ahead and we want to read the remainder of our verses here this morning. We want to read verses 4 through 9. 
And then we're going to talk about three decisions of the heart that people who experience joy often make and that we forget when we go through these seasons of anxiety. But when I begin reading there in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, you can follow along and here's what God's word says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We want to talk this morning about three decisions, and decision number one is this, focus on God's goodness. One of the things that I think that will really help us in these difficult circumstances, unsure times, is when we focus on God's goodness, when we focus on the generosity of God. In chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul says this. He says, rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. And, it's, and I really like that because it's like Paul saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And you're like, uh, what? I mean, are you serious? You've got to be kidding me. Always? Could you say that again? Maybe I misunderstood you. And he, and he says, okay, sure. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, this word rejoice, this word joy is used in Philippians 15 times by this inmate who is awaiting trial. And the concept behind joy is that you don't experience joy only because things are going well. You don't experience joy only because you think things are going to all work out well because sometimes they won't. Often, you can experience joy even in a season of extreme sadness and deep disappointment. In fact, experiencing joy is one of the most powerful weapons that we have when we travel through a season of sadness and deep disappointment. You can experience grief and joy at the same time. You can experience sadness and joy at the same time. Joy is not the absence of bad things happening, but rather joy is a focus on the generosity of God that expresses itself through gratitude and praise, even in seasons of extreme pain and deep disappointment. And what I'm saying here is that you experience joy because of what you choose to focus on. When you choose to focus on the generosity of God, it leads to a heart of gratitude. It leads to a heart of joy. And decision number one all starts with this focus on the goodness of God. Now, I want you to look there again at verse four, and particularly three words that I want you to notice here. Paul says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I don't think that those three little words are just throwaway words there, uh, because he, he could have wrote to his friends in Philippi, and he could have said, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. He, he could have just left it at that, but, but he doesn't. He says, in the Lord. So why would he say that? Why does he say that? I think what Paul is writing here is this. He's saying, rejoice 
in the unique way that someone who has been saved and rescued and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ can rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because you are connected to Jesus Christ. What that means is that when we're we're talking about the goodness of God, we can certainly talk about some of the material blessings that he has given. Things that uh, we are really thankful for, like air conditioning and running water and uh, good food in the cupboards and gas in our car tanks. I mean, that's great. There's a goodness of God that we can experience these things. But when Paul says here, when he says rejoice in the Lord, I think he's talking about something a little bit more specific than uh, just uh, material blessings and things like that. I think he's talking about spiritual blessings that we as believers have when we receive uh, the Lord and, and we receive these from God. He said rejoice because Jesus entered into this broken world and he entered into this broken world for you. Rejoice because when Jesus hung on the cross, he did that in order that your sins might be forgiven. Rejoice in the fact that no matter how lousy this next week may be, that that you're promised a home in Christ one day where where you, you will be in his presence and you will experience this wholeness. You will experience a wholeness emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Rejoice in the Lord because even though things might be tight financially, even though things might be hard relationally, Jesus Christ is that reliable, faithful friend, and he does not change. You rejoice in the Lord, and and to rejoice in the Lord is to have a unique focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That you focus on that in a way that that, that gives you a totally different perspective on your challenges and difficulties and disappointments in life. And and puts them in this proper perspective before the Lord. It is a solid anchor that is fixed when everything else around you is chaotic. When everything else around you is just falling apart. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Not not just on those beautiful sunny days when everything seems to be going well, but on those gloomy rainy days as well when very little is going well. Not just on Friday, but on Monday too. But not just when you get that call back and, and they say on the other line that they say, hey, we want you to come back for another interview. But when you get that call back and they say, hey, we decided that we're going to go in another direction. Rejoice in the Lord always. What is it that we do to find joy when we are tempted to live in the house of anxiety? My friends, one of the practices, one of the disciplines, one of the decisions that we need to make is to focus on the goodness of God. You think, well, that's great. So, so Jason, what you're saying is that I, I, I just need to focus on the goodness of God and then I'm going to feel better about life, right? Right. Well, there may be some truth to that, but that's not always the way it's going to work out. It's also going to help the way that you behave uh, in life as well. Take a look here at what it says in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. It says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I read that and I think, uh, you know, it doesn't really seem like these verses all fit together here. You got verse 4 and it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Then you got verse 6 and it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, I get it. More joy, less anxiety. But right here in the middle is this verse that says, Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. What's that doing there? What, What does that mean? Well, I would suggest to you that when you are stressed you are much more likely to snap and to freak out on the other people around you. You you feel like it's okay when you freak out. Because, you know, you say, well, yeah, sure, I blew up, but I'm really stressed. I'm under a lot of pressure right now. You've got to understand. When we are under an incredible amount of stress and anxiety, we can justify the things that we say. We justify the way that we respond to people. And when you're uh, on pins and needles, uh, typically everyone else around you is on pins and needles as well. When, when you're filled with anxiety, everyone else in your house is filled with anxiety too. You see, the decisions that you make will affect the other people around you. That it's not just you, and it's not just about your ang- anxious heart. But it is about the reality that when you choose to live in the house of anxiety, it will affect the most important relationships around you. People like your children and your spouse and your co-workers and other people who are really important to you. Whether you're choosing joy or anxiety can have an extremely big effect on the other people who matter most in your life. And so... It is vitally important that we regularly make a conscious decision to remind ourselves about the goodness of God because it will impact the way that we live. And so this inmate who is awaiting trial writes to this group of people who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have been in trouble, who are having trouble getting along. He writes to them and he says, he talks to them about joy, he talks to them about anxiety and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the reason why you rejoice is because of a decision that you make in order to focus on the goodness of God. You say, okay, Paul, well, is there anything else here? He says, well, as a matter of fact, there is. We need to ask God for help. Decision number two, ask God for help. Now, I have to say that we're, we're often naturally drawn to a number of other different options in life. Things like complaining to anyone else around us who's going to listen. But Paul says, no, if you feel like you're headed down this path towards anxiety, you need to go and talk to God and immediately ask him for the help that you need. Again, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 there, Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God that doesn't make any sense to this earthly world, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul seems to be writing to his friends in Philippi is this, that through prayer, peace replaces anxiety. Let me say that again. Through prayer, peace replaces anxiety. Now, I think that oftentimes what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to read verses like this and we we say, okay, well, you know what? All I need to do is to just go and pray to God and say, God, you know what? My job is not working out very well right now. 
I've got this conflict in these relationships that I'm involved in. My finances are falling apart. So if you could just take away all of these hard things, then I'll just be better. Okay? Amen. And we think that if we've prayed a prayer like that, that it's just automatically going to be peace for us. But I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is having a trust and a reliance upon God. To understand that he loves us and he cares for us. To rest in him. To rely upon his provision in our lives as our gracious heavenly father. I believe that the way that we view God will determine if we pray. It will also determine how we pray. When Jesus was here on this earth, he chose 12 main disciples who he taught and who he walked through life with. One of those disciples was a guy by the name of Peter. Peter traveled with Jesus. He listened to Jesus for three years. Uh, when Jesus was crucified and after his resurrection, uh, Peter would write two letters that we still have in our Bibles here today. First Peter and Second Peter. Well, in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, this is what he would write. He says, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Well, because he cares for you. Jesus' disciple says, listen, throw your anxieties towards Christ. Why? Because he deeply cares about you. You know, I think that sometimes we don't pray because we don't really think that he cares. I mean, he couldn't possibly care about my loneliness, my kids, my marriage, my disruptive situations of life. He, he couldn't possibly care about my relationships. He's got bigger things to worry about. And yet Peter says this, take your anxieties and just throw them towards him, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Well, because he really does care about you. There's a preacher from the last century, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, he actually lived not too far from here, just down the street in the Pullman neighborhood. Uh, Tozer would write these words and he would say this, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And, and Jesus' disciples just says, he says this, listen, he really does care for you. He cares for you. You won't believe how much you matter to the God of the universe. And Paul writes to the Philippians here, and he says, you don't have to be so anxious about everything. In fact, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that through prayer, peace replaces anxiety. And so Paul, who's this prison inmate chained to a Roman guard awaiting his trial before Nero, writes to his friends here in Philippi and he says, make the decision to focus on the goodness of God. And then he says, and don't be consumed by anxiety over everything, but through prayer, Allow peace to replace anxiety. 
Think about those two things, and maybe they sound somewhat easy when they come out of our mouths, but really, when we try to start practicing these things, it's hard. This is a whole rewiring of our minds that needs to take place. It's a whole new uh, way of relating to the challenges and disappointments of life. It's a whole new approach to the way that we normally respond to things. I want to go ahead and look at decision number three here this morning, and that is renew your mind. Renew your mind. In order to pull this off, we need to have a new brain. And so we say, dear Jesus... I need a brain transplant. I need my mind to be renewed. And Paul says in verse 8 here, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so he gives us this list, a list of eight things here. And he says, whatever is true, Honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think about these things. Interestingly, it's when we think about the things that are the opposite of these things that anxiety begins to creep in. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to be intentional, that we need to work at this. We need to think about what it is that we are thinking about. Because when we just let our minds run wild, we get, in, we get sucked into this awful trap of anxiety. And so we have to be careful. We have to be intentional about not letting our minds wander off to places where they shouldn't be. In fact, in his letter to the believers in Rome, Paul would write this. Romans chapter 12, and verses 1 and 2, he says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, you need a new mind. Be intentional about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Long ago, many of us invited Jesus into our hearts, but we need to continually be inviting him into our brains as well. That we need to think about what we think about. So many times we fill our minds with all sorts of messages from this world. Messages on TV, messages on the internet, messages on the radio, messages from social media. Now, please uh, don't misunderstand me here. I am not against those types of things, but oftentimes those messages are the ones that will then lead us towards anxiety in life. And it's not the things that are true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And I'm just saying that I think maybe we need to dial back these uh, influences, this media in our lives a bit because of how it is getting us all worked up and anxious. More and more the goal of media today is to get people worked up and that generally does not lead to a life of joy. And so whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there is any, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I'm not a sociologist. I, I've heard some sociologists recently uh, say that we live in uh, the, the most anxiety-ridden cultures that has ever existed. And so, you know, there used to be a time, uh, a time that was long ago, <laughs> Uh, where there used to be this thing called the newspaper, right? And some of you maybe have never seen one of these before. You never read one of these ever in your life, but there used to be this thing called the newspaper. And so it would get rolled up and it would get thrown onto your front porch or in your front lawn somewhere. And so you would go out and you would early in the morning pick this thing up. And you would go and you would sit down over your cup of coffee or over your breakfast and you would start to thumb through the pages of the newspaper. And you would pay attention to some of these things that you were interested in, and you would skip over some of the other things that you weren't so interested in. But, but you would get this little dose of some bad news. But then you would take it and you would put the bad news down. And unless you turned on the evening news, the 6 o'clock news or the 11 o'clock news, you didn't really hear any other bad news. You, you kind of, the, the news went off after the 6 o'clock news or the 11 o'clock news was over. It went off, and that was your dose of bad news for the day. But then came the 1980s and into the 90s, and there started these 24-hour news channels that, that, that became very popular, things like CNN and Fox News and and now, rather than having news just at 6 o'clock or 11 o'clock, we, we now can watch news anytime we want to watch it. Anytime, day or night. You can turn that thing on and you can watch the news, things that are going on in the world today. And we're not even talking about the impact of computers, the impact of cell phones on all of this. The reason why the newspaper business has been turned upside down is because by the time you get the newspaper, everything that is in that thing, it's already old news. You've already read about it like four times. My friends, sociologists today say that we are more likely to hear a continuous stream of bad news today than any other people in any other part of the world ever. And I think that if we are going to practice this whole thing of Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we're going to do this, then we need to be more intentional. <laughs> we need to be intentional about turning off that news feed at times. Because we are just being bombarded over and over and over again with all of these things that are depressive and lead to anxiety. Now, I'm not saying that we need to totally disconnect ourselves from everything. In fact, I, I love a lot of the new technology that's out today. I mean, there's some great advances that have been made recently. But what I'm saying is that this constant onslaught of the world's pain from every direction can lead us to living these lives that are so anxious. And that is an extremely dangerous thing. We need to be intentional. We need to think about what we think about. 
In verse 9, there the Apostle Paul concludes this section and he says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, listen, I'm in prison awaiting my trial. I'm chained to this Roman guard. But I have been able to experience a great joy in life. And I just want you to be able to experience that as well. Think about these things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about that. You know, we need to be intentional today about trying to reroute the channels of our hearts, the channels of our minds, by choosing to focus on the goodness of God through praying, casting our anxieties upon Him, and renewing our minds by thinking about the things of God and not just letting our minds run rampant with the news of the day. It's not easy, but over time, as we do it again and again and again, we will experience a freedom and a joy and a peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you.